It's Tuesday, October 27th, 2020. I'm Tanya Harris, and welcome to TMI Daily, your daily roundup of everything people are talking about online since they aren't allowed to talk about it in person. In a 52 to 48 vote last night, Republicans confirmed Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, making this handmaid's tale the newest Supreme Court injustice. Minutes before the Republican Senate majority confirmed Barrett, Democratic Minority Leader Chuck Schumer warned that with this action, Republicans would never get their credibility back. Considering that the GOP have been bending over backwards to accommodate a reality show presidency, I'm fairly certain credibility wasn't something they were worrying about losing. Donald Trump made three campaign stops in Pennsylvania yesterday, which either means that he realizes how important the state is to next week's election, or he's looking for a good place to hide when the indictments start coming down after November 3rd. At one of his COVID-a-thon rallies in Pennsylvania yesterday, Trump slammed former President Barack Obama for the small size of a rally that never actually took place. I guess in Trump's mind, Obama gave a speech in the same world in the U.S. that the U.S. is rounding the corner on COVID in. In a rally that actually took place today, President Obama said that Trump was jealous of all the media coverage COVID was getting, which after four years is obviously true since the president wants to be the only virus anyone in the U.S. is ever talking about. Trump's walking out tirade made Sunday's 60 Minutes the highest rated non-sports show of the year since February's Academy Awards, which makes sense considering both the Oscars and 60 Minutes featured a parasite. Let's hope unlike the Oscars, this one doesn't win. Phil Collins' legal team has sent a cease and desist order to Trump campaign, uh, demanding that they no longer use Phil's hit in the air tonight at his rallies. If they succeed in having the song removed, the only thing in the air tonight at a Trump rally will be coronavirus and possibly the smell of polo for men and chewing tobacco. Demi Lovato has been named to host the E-People's Choice Awards, which will air in November. Clearly, Lovato herself wasn't the people's first choice to host this, but hey, it's 2020. Guess she's more like the people's settlement. Los Angeles is bracing for layoffs and service cuts as the COVID-19 pandemic has led to a 400 million to 600 million budget shortfall. To put the losses in Hollywood terms, that's like a studio releasing Johnny Depp's The Lone Ranger three or four times. The theater where Conan O'Brien has been shooting his show was robbed, leading the comedian to joke that it never happens to other late night shows. To be fair, the burglars did break into the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, but like most Americans, they looked around for a few minutes and said, eh, and left. Now, let's send it over to tonight's TMI Daily cast and crew roundtable. Stay safe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of TMI Daily. I'm Veronica Yellow, and as always, I'm joined by some of my TMI Hollywood family. Let's go around and say hello to everyone watching at home or listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or their podcast platform, platform streaming service of their choice. Let's start with you, Pete. Hi, Spotify and Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and everybody else in the podcast world. Hello. Joe. 
Hi, everyone listening on Google Podcasts. I'm really, I know what our subject of today's show is, but I'm really hoping I don't have to deal with depression at the end of the week because the Dodgers will have won. Fingers crossed. So far, not so good tonight. <laughs> Elizabeth. Um, I'll repeat something I think I said last week from um, Mark Marin. Use whatever options you have at your disposal to maintain your sanity without hurting yourself or someone else. And Emma. This week I've learned that if I'm any character from Letterkenny, I'm the coach because I'm watching the Dodgers and it's fucking embarrassing. <laughs> As <it's... laughs> Okay. So tonight. Um, what? Okay. Never mind that. But we're going to go ahead and get started. Ooh, got nervous there. He was running a little late. <laughs> okay. So we are living in incredibly difficult times filled with fear, sadness, and uncertainty. A June Census Bureau report claims that 24% of people surveyed were dealing with symptoms of major depressive disorder, while another 30% showed showed signs of generalized anxiety disorder. The numbers are even worse for people between the ages of 18 and 29. In many cases, these numbers are double what was found in a similar study in 2014. With so many reasons to feel depression and anxiety today, it's really important to be able to identify the causes and find ways to treat these issues. Our guest tonight has been working for years to help people in these exact circumstances. In 2006, he founded the nonprofit organization to write love on her arms whose purpose is dedicated to presenting hope and finding help for people struggling with depression, addiction, self-injury, and suicide. Please welcome Jamie Torkowski to TMI Daily. And I believe he's coming on now. Can you guys see me? No, we We can hear you. People, we can hear you. Um, I don't know what to do. Uh, Let's see. You're you're a lovely shade of green green right now. You just put something up there. Uh, let's see. I'm open to advice. I don't know what to do. I just logged in and it's green. I've never seen green. You, 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 you want to log right back out and then and then um just I come back in and I'll look it again. Okay. Let's okay. try that. In the meantime, how's everybody doing? Hey. <laughs> I'm not gonna go back and read the introduction because I was no, always- you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is fun. This is this is what gives our this is what gives our show like a folksy homey quality. Yeah. Uh, yeah you know, it's when we have like little, like it's like a, little mistakes like this. It's artisanal. It's artisanal podcast. Artisanal, yes. It's a small artisanal show. <laughs> Not a one of them is perfect, but they're all made with love. It's also, got a, it's also got a warmer sound. Also proof that we're live. Yeah, because <laughs> this doesn't happen when we record it in advance. <laughs> If this was recorded, yeah, that's God help. <laughs> and then I started scrolling way too fast, and then I lost my my spot, and then I went back on. So it's all good. It's live, so anything can happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe Joe could play the part of Jamie for today's show. Oh no, I'm not gonna. No, I couldn't do that. Like a lot of these guests, I could probably do. This guy, I couldn't do. This guy's got. <laughs> this guy's actually actually empathetic. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in the world right now shaking his computer going what's wrong with this camera <laughs> wait hold on he's he's coming back let's see hey, if we can get I, I know on. a great guy i know a great guy he's ha- he's half blind in delaware that can fix that thing 
<laughs> now all I gotta do is go to Russia first, get the money, and come back. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Sorry, I had to bail on the webcam. Oh, no worries. <laughs> Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. Can you hear me okay? I totally can. Can you hear me? Yeah, yes. that's perfect. So Sweet. I wanted to tell you before we start, Jamie, how I found out about your organization and what you do. Um, I attended one of your podcasts with Chris Sullivan a couple of years back. So that's how I found out what you were doing. And I just think it's amazing what you do. So thank you for being so involved with this. And um, so today we're just hoping to have a really good discussion to try and help people and get the word out on your organization. So to get started, um, you started to write love on her arms in 2006 after helping a friend who was struggling with addiction, depression, self-injury, and attempted suicide. Do you mind telling us a little bit about it and how it motivated you? to start your organization for those that are not familiar with it. Yeah. Um, First off, that was a great night at the bootleg and I'm honored to be here with you all. Um, I know, I know this is a a deeply personal thing for you. I I don't pretend to know the ins and outs of, of your community, but I know that um, the reason for this, uh, this call is, is really hard, is really painful. So I'm honored to be invited and to get to spend a few minutes with you. But um, to answer your question, back in 2006, I was working as a sales rep for the clothing brand Hurley. And my life changed in a really dramatic way when I was introduced to a girl who quickly became a new friend. Her name is Renee Yohi. And uh, I was, I spent five days with her after she was denied entry into a local treatment center. And was just really moved by getting to know her and by the conversations that we had. And these were uh, her first days clean and sober in quite a while. And we were just trying to keep her safe and keep her laughing and smiling. And uh, she had been denied entry into a local treatment center, um, which certainly would not always be the case that just this particular treatment center, they weren't able to offer her an element of detox. And she also had a fresh self-inflicted wound on her arm And so they basically told us if we could keep her safe for five days, she'd be welcome back at that time. And I got to know her and a few of us just kind of came together and and spent that time with her. And I asked what she thought about sharing part of her story. And I wasn't, I didn't think of myself as a writer. Uh, I just felt like I was moved and didn't want to go back to normal. Didn't want to forget this experience and wondered if maybe other people, someone else could be encouraged by this story. And, and she loved the idea that there could be a purpose for her pain and that someone else might end up getting help as a result of, of us being honest about her getting help and shared it. I, I just, I feel comfortable saying this, but I shared it in a place called MySpace back in 2006. And uh, it essentially took on a life of its own and then started selling t-shirts as a way to help pay for her treatment. And those ended up in all sorts of places, friends and bands started to support us and, We've been at it ever since, just just learning that people all over the world deal with these problems of pain, um, that so many people feel alone, that so many people struggle in silence. And so we've just been pointing people to hope and to professional help ever since and doing our best to connect people to resources, also to fund treatment and counseling, to fund professional help, and uh, really thankful for how it's all gone coming up on 15 years now. Great. So it seems like, you know, your organization helps people during that time um, where um, it just seems like the United States, and this is just, you know, something that I want to talk about a little bit, is so ill-equipped to deal with the mental health issues in our country. Why do you think that is? 
Uh, I think, I do think it's getting better. I mean, I do, I do think compared to when we started 15 years ago, there is more of a common knowledge. I feel like everywhere you look um, in almost, you know, so many aspects of society, even so many different people groups, uh, we see folks talking about these issues. We, we see people talking about mental health. Um, Obviously I agree with you and we're dreaming of a world where, you know, there's no asterisk where, where, um, people don't have to a not not only navigate shame or feel strange about talking about it, but that um, that it could be easier to get help. Um, I think for a lot of people, there's the first hurdle of man, can I say this out loud? And then the second one is where do I turn? What you know? How do I get help? Um, so I do think it's gotten better since we started, but I think there's a long way to go. Um, and and yet I think we love to point people to just so many different aspects, whether it's, you know, often starting if you are insured um, to connect with your insurance provider and ask about your, you know, your options as it relates to mental health care, um, to learn about free, uh, free care that exists, to learn about counselors that work on a, a sliding scale. I have friends that are counselors that see people for $10 a week. Um, so just to, I think a lot of times we think, oh man, there's no way I could get help or there's no way I could afford it. Um, there's also free hotlines and helplines. Uh, and then there's a whole separate part of the conversation that that's just community and friendships and, and what does it look like to really be known and to be in honest relationships, which, um, obviously hopefully there's not a, a cost associated with that. Um, but I think in a way it's gotten better and worse. Like we, we look at the numbers and we see people more people, more young people struggling with anxiety, struggling with depression. We see suicide rates continuing to go up. Uh, but I do think the, the conversation is, is, um, is out there in a bigger way. And hopefully more and more people feel comfortable, especially young people, I think, are growing up with some awareness of these issues and these topics. And uh, again, we're just hoping to work toward a, a day where it's totally normal and acceptable, where you talk about finding a counselor the same way you talk about finding a dentist or a good restaurant back when we went to restaurants. No, I have a couple more questions for you that I want to open it up to the panel. Um, Talking about younger people, why do you think younger people today suffer so greatly with depression and anxiety? Uh, I think, I think, well, first off, I think those things have been around, you know, since before any of us were born but I think some of the challenges, especially looking at technology and social media, I don't know if any of you have seen The Social Dilemma on Netflix, but I thought that was really eye-opening, even for me, who's been around this conversation for more than a decade. So I think we imagine, or even me, I'm 40 years old. I, when I left school as a kid, I, I, could, I could sort of turn it off back then, you know, and, and now it's like, kids are looking at or young people are looking at their phone or their tablet. I mean, my nephews are six and eight and and they don't have phones yet, thankfully, but it's like, they want to be, they want to be on their tablets. They want to even already be connecting with their friends, um, playing video games. And so I think there's just, uh, there's the stress, there's the, the anxiety um, that comes with technology. Obviously it can be used for good as well. Um, and then I think there's, a, you know, there's factors that existed even when all of us were growing up there, you know, divorce and cancer and all of the hard things that um, are part of life. And then even now looking at all of the things that make life challenging, maybe for, for the parents of these young people navigating the political climate and, and just all these scary things that are making headlines, you know, from climate change to 
um, violence and, and um, racial injustice. So I think there's so many different reasons. Um, and I never want to just make a blanket statement that technology or that social media is bad, right? We, we couldn't be having this call if not for technology. But I think it does come with its challenges. And for all of us and young people included, the I think the healthy challenge becomes what do good boundaries look like? I think even for me, since watching The Social Dilemma, there's this feeling of how can I be on my phone less? How can I think about how I'm using and how I'm navigating social media? Mm-hmm. Okay. So as you know, we recently lost a dear friend of ours to suicide. And as devastating as it was for all of us here on screen, um, I think it was worse because he didn't seem like the type of person who would have done this. Um, so with that being said, are there any things that we can do to identify early warning signs with people in our lives? Um, and if so, what would you suggest we do if we see those signs? Yeah, I think I think that there are some signs. And, and I think with that, I just want to acknowledge, you know, even even um, I can I can relate, you know, being and I think a lot of people watching um, anyone maybe who's an adult at some point can relate to lose not only losing someone in this way, but losing someone and being so surprised, being so blindsided. Um, depression can impact pretty much every aspect of life. And so I think the best, the best head start that we have is, is just to be close is, is to be known. Um, we can only ever be half of a relationship, but I think it makes such a case for community and for real, honest, vulnerable friendships. And, and so the hope would be that we're connected to some people and we can really do life with these people. And we, um, we're invited in and in return, they're invited in and we get to talk about how we're really doing on a consistent basis. We can't control that, right? We, you could be the perfect friend, you could make the perfect speeches, um, but you can't control someone else's vulnerability or their honesty um, or even how they're doing on a given day. But I think, I think that's what we come back to the most. And, and then also just, I end up being, and, and really our organization kind of serves as a broken record. Just we want to continue to encourage people to get help. Um, so I think just, again, normalizing the conversation. And sometimes we lead by example, like, Maybe it's not just encouraging a friend to go to counseling, but it's talking about your own counseling experience and hoping that invites the vulnerability. But to answer your question specifically, I think it can, when you know someone, you know when their behavior is off, you know when their, um, their normal is off, when, when someone is isolating, when they're not responding, um, maybe they're short. We are, we're also living in a really unique year, you know, so I, I know that in a way everything looks and feels different, so it's important to acknowledge that. Um, but when we really know someone and, and we do life consistently, I think we have a sense of when they might be down or they might be withdrawing or isolating. And, and so I think we just encourage people to, um, to be honest, to be open, to be willing to be vulnerable, to ask maybe the hard question or the awkward question. And, and essentially just to keep coming back to this idea or this question of, hey, how, how are you really doing? How are you? Um, what can I do? But, but coupling with that with just loving that person and showing grace and showing compassion and, and doing our part to continue to show up. And again, in 2020, showing up maybe looks very different. But even if it's, even if it's a phone call, even if it's FaceTime, um, even if it's, hey, come have a cup of coffee on my front porch, just I think nothing beats connection in terms of having a sense of, of how someone's doing. 
Okay. So I'm going to open it up to you guys. Does anybody have any questions or anything you want to say? Let's start with you, Emma. So uh, I'm, this is going to be a little bit of a long question. I'm going to get to the point as quickly as I can, I promise. Um, I've been in two communities in my life that seem to have fairly, really high rates of uh, major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety. Uh, In high school, I went to like anime conventions and I was a huge nerd, but that has a very high rate of depression. And then comedians tend tend to have a lot of people who have anxiety and depression uh, in comedy. Do you find that it's like a like attracts like kind of uh, scenario or are there certain communities that attract people who are in more pain than others? Uh, Like what causes that kind of phenomenon? Because I always felt like this couldn't, like it's, couldn't be normal that so many people would have it. Yeah. Um, um, oh, no. I don't want to cut yeah, you off. I'm trailing off now. Yeah. I, I don't. Um, I have to be a little bit careful because I'm a, I'm a college dropout who wrote a story that went viral. And I've been kind of trying to keep up and do my best ever since. So I'm not a, a licensed counselor. I'm not a I don't have a bachelor's. So I definitely don't have a Ph.D. Uh, but hopefully I've learned a few things. Um, we. I'll, I'll use this as an example. We we're the most closely connected to the music community. If, if that's a, if that makes sense, we, we have always connected with not only people who make music, but, but fans of these artists. And so what's always struck me was the idea that um, these are sensitive people, music, you know, music lovers. Um, even we got our start kind of back in the emo era a case could be made that these are people relating to really emotive, honest, vulnerable lyrics. And so there's a sensitivity, I think, that serves as a common thread. Um, I don't know much about the anime community, but I know a little bit about comedy, which is so often rooted in people sharing their pain um, in a really clever, honest way. But, you know, I've seen enough documentaries and read enough stories to know that we're often laughing at people's real pain. And they have a gift, um, this amazing gift to turn it into something that can be joyful. Um, but what do you do when you're not on stage or what do you do when you're not um, at the comedy club or, you know, when you're not plugged into this community or to this outlet, what do you do with all those other hours um, where it doesn't just go away? Where, what do you do with that pain? So I, I think to answer your question, um, I think that, I think sensitivity comes to mind. I, I do think that, um, if you, if you kind of surveyed people in those places and and I could say the same of maybe people who love music or people who love, you know, certain kinds of music, you would find people that are really in touch with feelings and emotion and um, not only pain in general, but perhaps their own pain. Um, And so I do think it makes sense. Uh, Hopefully that's a little bit of an answer. Oh, Emma, real quick, because I'm a super nerd too and go to Comic-Con and whatnot. I think part of the anime thing is also because uh, the, and you know, this, the nerd culture in general is very, very welcoming because you've always felt like an outsider and alone. And all of a sudden you're meeting all these people that are the exact same way. And, and that brings them together. And I think that has a lot to do with it too. Oh, wait, sorry. Are you guys still there? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hang on. Um, this happens sometimes. So I just lost you on my screen and I'm trying to find you. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I can hear you, but I, have, I, I want to see you. 
we're much better sounding than we are looking. No, yeah, no, I, was, I just I mean, it's, it's perfectly oh. fine if you only hear us. No, 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 like no, everybody listening on Google Podcasts right now. <laughs> um, I might have to be let in. I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. Let me see if there's anything on my end. Okay. Something on your end, Pete? Um, let me, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to pull you out of the room for one second. And okay. Bring you back in. Let me see if that works. <laughs> this, this is uh, technology at its best. Let's see. Watch it will be green again. <laughs> no, there is. Are you, are we right. back? Can you see us? Yes, I can. Yeah, I was like, my question's too hard. I'm out of here. <laughs> you wanted to say something? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I don't, did Pete, did you want to go? No, no, you go first. Okay. Um, yeah, I also watched the, the Social Dilemma. Uh, and uh, I don't know if this is more of a comment or question. I'll try to get there. But it, it's... Um, I see a lot of people being more open about depression and anxiety on social media. Um, and I know it doesn't, ca- it doesn't like cause exactly, but um, is there, I think a, a useful way. Cause sometimes I feel like people throw it out and just say, I have depression and anxiety and then kind of don't talk about anything they're doing to handle it or treat it. And, but on the flip side, I see a lot of people post recommendate like, either recommendations or like the the idea of just doing little things for depression because people are like I can't get out of bed or I don't want to do anything and so sometimes it's as like little as shower or just get the trash out like only one thing um yeah um I don't think first off I totally agree I'm gonna try to make sense um it's okay it was like an eight-part question with no actual end Um, (laughs) I guess I'll just share a few thoughts. Mm-hmm. I don't, obviously we don't want to beat people up for venting incorrectly, but I think right. I'm, I'm totally with you on the idea that we need more than venting and we, or not even venting, just whatever, whatever um, we need more than being open on social media. So for me, I come back to, we would put professional help at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you do or don't post breakup lyrics. It just means you're going to need more than breakup lyrics. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I think, Maybe that when if you know that person, um, or depending on the setting or the community, uh, whether it's a DM or a phone call, if you're concerned about someone, you, you get to maybe check in and encourage that step of, of hey, how are you doing? It, it seems like you're mm-hmm. struggling. Um, obviously, it depends if maybe what kind of relationship is there. But I think I, I come back to no, nothing beats um, the real thing, you know, from counseling to the mm-hmm. possibility of medication to, to simply real relationships, real, having a real support system and, and real friendships. Um, so I'm with you. I, th- I think it can be a good thing, this idea of people being open and honest and even vulnerable. But I just think we want to remind people you, you need and deserve more than that. I think I, I, that, that comes to mind, especially with public figures, where I feel like they kind of drop that information and maybe explain how they're dealing with it. But like, I think they're missing, not that it's their sole responsibility as a public figure, but I feel like if you kind of put that out that you had like deal with it, but don't necessarily talk about what you're doing to treat it. I think that um, kind of stunts the communication part of it. Cause obviously a public figure is not going to be able to talk to everybody in their community of fans uh, and sometimes that helps connect the fans, but sometimes I feel like they just kind of 
drop that information and then it's, it's just there. <laughs> yeah. Or when, or when maybe they're just functioning, they're not thinking of themselves as a leader or having an action mm-hmm. point. They're just choosing to be honest in some yeah. setting. Um, but yeah, I think, I think um, we love it when people who have a platform and, and in a way we all have some kind of platform when people, you know, if they're aware that there's a mental health component to a conversation, even like what, what you guys are doing right now, just trying to point to something bigger than themselves. And, and even for me as an individual, I'm, um, I'm not trying to, you know, message everyone. Like I love that I'm a part of a team and a system that's bigger than me. And, and that's so healthy, especially with something as difficult as, you know, people struggling in a real way with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, all of these different things, even suicide. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, I, and again, I don't want to say it too much, but just nothing beats being known. Like it, there's just such a need for all of us to have real friends and a real support system and people we can be honest with, regardless of our success or followers or, you know, influence. Like we all just, I mean, we've seen it, you know, time and time again, where it's, it's just these names, people with millions of dollars and incredible at their craft and, you know, every reason to live and, and we lose them to suicide. And we've seen those in recent years and, and, you know, beyond that. And I think it just makes a case for, um, you know, people being known and also just normalizing the idea that it's okay to ask for help. Um, so Jamie, uh, because you have a, kind of a, a larger platform where you probably deal with a lot of people sometimes that you don't, um, that you might not have close relationships through that are going through situations like this. Um, I kind of have a question I'm, I, I was hoping maybe you'd have an answer for. Um, with us, there are people involved with us that we're very close to. Uh, there's altogether involved in our little community, there's about 60 people between um, the actors and the writers and the, some of the production people that, we're, we're, that we work with. Um, and you have varying degrees of relationships with each one of those people. Um, for us, for our friend that we lost, he was probably one of our closest friends, at least from my standpoint, Veronica's standpoint, um, he was one of our closest friends, not just because of, of our show that we do, but because of just the relationship we've built. Um, so that was really hard. But along the lines of that, there's all these other people. And again, as you stretch out beyond the, the small group that you're very close to, you start to kind of reach out to more people that you have relationships with, but you're not really close to them. You know them, you know a little bit about their lives, you know a little bit about how, you know, how they handle themselves, but you really don't know what's going on inside. Um, how do you, how do you talk to people that you might not have close relationships to, but you do have some form of relationship with to let them know that if there's something, they could always come to you. Um, because that's one of the things I think that, that, you know, for me personally, that's what I'm struggling with because until this happens with our friends, I didn't realize how many people that we were dealing with that had a lot of a, a lot of issues that 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 you know maybe we should have all been there for them w- with you know. And it's always funny. I, I hate to say this, but actors, writers are very very overly emotional people. So sometimes you just kind of overlook it, yeah, um, because you think you're just being you know kind of uh, dramatic. But yeah. how do you kind of reach out to people and just say it's okay? You know, you know, I know we might not be close, but you can always come to us. Yeah. I mean, I think I think you just did it. I think you just said a lot of it. And I think everyone can relate to we have 
different levels of closeness, right? You have someone who you care about, who you haven't talked to in two years. You have someone else who you talk to every few months. You have someone else, you know, just you narrow it down to the people you talk to every day. Um, and I think the best we can do is just be intentional. And, and I think, you know, you, you kind of gave some great examples, but um, we can, especially if you're, con- if you, if you're just, con- if you're concerned about someone, I think there's a, there's, I would just encourage people to keep showing up, to keep checking in. But I think some, even, even I've tried to think about in my friendships and not even, I feel like it's, it's a little easier in our closest friendships. It, it happens more naturally because we're so connected and there's kind of a level of intimacy or knowing, you know, we know what's going on when you, when you talk to people consistently. But I think I'm, I'm just trying to get better at like those people I maybe check in with every, every month or two. And, and even if it's a text message, just, just um, not just going about the business, but trying to make space for, Hey, how, how are you doing? How are you holding up? What, what does this year look like? So I think just, just asking real questions um, and maybe, you know, I think we can, it's easy to get in the habit of only texting. Right. Um, so what does it look like to make a phone call or maybe what does it look like even better to surprise someone with a FaceTime? I feel like I've heard a few friends talk about that and more than talk about it, live it out this year where it's like, what does it look like to surprise people and just kind of show up? You can't control if they answer, you can't control how much time they have, but we can control how we show up and try to participate in these friendships. Um, and then I, I touched on this earlier, but I think it, it's it's not just asking questions, but how do we lead by example? So if we get the opportunity, how do we demonstrate vulnerability? Um, I'm someone who goes to counseling. I'm someone who deals with depression. I'm someone who takes medication for it. How do I share those things um, in a way that's welcoming and comfortable? Um, and how can I lead by example? Because sometimes when I, when I talk about what I'm dealing with, m- maybe not even mental health, just life, just 2020 mm-hmm. election next week, what, you know, just talking about the fact that life is hard, hopefully plants the seed and invites that other person to do the same. Um, right. Cause we tend not to connect over all the good news or all the success or promotions or whatever. A lo- you know, a lot of times we connect over the hard stuff. Um, but I think I think even the way you asked it, you had some good ideas in there. Thank you, Joe. Um, uh, first of all, uh, Jamie, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, with everything that's been going on this year with COVID and things like that, I think one of the things I wanted to kind of hit on real quick is, um, and it's been the last few years like this, but um, it's an election year, and it's been really tough. And I'm going to bet that everybody listening right now or everybody watching has ended a friendship because of what's going on this year, um, which is sad. Um, yeah. I was talking with a friend of mine who's, who was telling me that she was in a really uh, she was in a conversation with her mom and her mom was crying hmm. because they have two different ideologies. They're still mother and daughter, yeah. but it, it's really ripped apart. So I think I want to ask and I, I think a lot of people know like like what's the best way to handle this? I mean, we're still all people. We just have different views of what we're doing, but I mean, what's the best way to kind of, uh, uh, I guess heal. Yeah. Oh man. I'm laughing because I don't know. And I'm, (laughs) I'm laughing because I can, I'm thinking about friendships that are on the rocks. And, um, 
I mean, my, I guess my best example, there's a guy, he was, he's a friend on some level, but I, I haven't been close to him or seen him in years. Like consistently we were roommates, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and he responded to something of mine on Instagram and he said, you're the most closed minded person I know. And I sent him a message and I said, well, you don't know me. Like we, we knew each other, but we haven't been close. And, and I, and I, I said, I, I also don't know what the last decade of your life has looked like. And I'm kind of, I was smiling as you were asking that because we find ourselves in this position of, do we want to get together? He wanted to get together to talk about the hard stuff. And part of me wonders, maybe we should get together and talk about everything else. Like, how are your kids? How's your marriage? Maybe let's find some common ground. So I, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I think there's something, I think there's a goal inside me of just trying to remember, trying to see beyond the disagreements, even, even when they feel so pivotal. And um, when it feels kind of, as you said, like whether it's ideology or worldview, and when you're talking about things that you're deeply passionate about, like whether they affect you or they just, they affect people you care about, it can be so hard and I think for me, I'm just trying to come back to this idea that, okay, this is still a person. This is still someone I care about. Um, even with this friend that I mentioned, one thing that's been good is I, I, I tend to run into him once or twice a year. And when I see him, it's not as hard as it is on Instagram. Because when I see him, it's like, oh, that's my friend. Like, I, I like this person. I know this person. Um, versus on Instagram, we're just talking about the stuff we disagree with. And it's, it's so hard. Um, so maybe it just starts by even, even being willing to wrestle with the question that, that you asked, like, what is, even, even maybe we say that to the person, like, Hey, I don't know. I don't know the way forward, but I care about you. Um, I think one thing I've found helpful is I feel like I've had friends approach me where they disagree with me, but they make it known that they want to ask questions. They respect me. We're trying to find common ground. And even if we don't make a lot of progress politically, we kind of come back to this feeling of, I like you, I'm for you, I care about you, um, and, and not lose sight of that. So I think maybe the work is just for, for all of us to try to keep that in mind. And, and then honestly, the, you know, you touched on it in your question. Um, in some cases, maybe some of these relationships have to be on the back burner right now. Like maybe we have to circle back after we got to get through the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, we all get to figure out boundaries and what different relationships. It can be even harder with family, right? It can be really heartbreaking, but um, I don't know. So hopefully that's not just a really long-winded, I don't know. But I think even if, if we're just willing to say, I care about this person and I don't want to lose this relationship. Um, and maybe I'll shut up after this, but even just, being willing to listen, even when we disagree, like my friend who I totally disagree with, I feel like I'm going to have to listen. I'm going to have to ask him some questions. And otherwise I don't know that how we're ever going to have a relationship. So those are just a few thoughts. Any more questions? Um, Emma, go ahead. So uh, my experience with suicide is not vast. Thank God. Um, but it is more than just our friend here. It happened uh, in college as well. A friend of mine took mm-hmm. her own life. Uh, in both uh, situations, at least from my perspective, uh, both friends, it seemed like they were going through something and then they were on the other side of it. Like things were getting better. At least it looked like to me. 
and then they did it. Um, in some of the research I did after the first time a friend of mine took her own life, I, I saw some studies and stuff that said that like it happens when people have the strength to actually go through with it. But I like have no idea to this day how to tell the difference between someone who just had a hard time and is getting better and is fine because things are getting better and someone who is in that place and is just getting the strength to make this terrible mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you have any like thoughts or experience or insight for how to tell which is which. Uh, yeah, I um, I mean, I'm going to repeat. Well, there's a couple of things that come to mind. I think the, f- the first thing I've learned over the years, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of using you as an example. I'm not saying you need therapy. I don't, I don't pretend to know your story, but someone in your situation, I think it's easy to think, oh, I want my friend to get help, or I wish my friend would have gotten help. But, but say for you, who's the compassionate friend, who um, uh, I think we want to encourage people that are carrying heavy burdens to, to be open to talking to a I think what you're asking me, um, obviously what you're talking about now is grief after the fact, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but I think for those of us that are trying to care for someone who is struggling or has been struggling, that's a heavy thing to process and to carry and to make sense of. And just in the, in the same way we'd want that person to get help. I think sometimes it's overlooked the idea that we, the friend or the other person, we might need some help as well. So I, I, I want to offer that for what it's worth. Um, just the idea that uh, the people carrying these burdens um, often need someone to process and talk to as well. And I'm specifically talking about, you know, mental health professionals. I don't think we, we can never know exactly what someone's thinking. Um, and the stories you're sharing are, are common stories, even the way you guys started by just saying, Hey, we had no idea. We were so surprised. We were so blindsided. Um, and I think people, a lot of people can relate to, Hey, I, I know they went through something and it seemed like they were doing better. Um, and so I think all we can do is do our best to be a friend, to be close to that person, to keep showing up, but we can't be in their life every second of the day. And we, and we can't know. I do think when we're concerned, we can, um, we can be honest about that concern, even though that might be awkward or difficult, or we might, we might not get a response that we're hoping for. Um, we can even ask someone, like, if you're, if you're deeply concerned about someone, you can, you can ask if they've thought about harming themselves or, you know, have you thought about dying by suicide? Like we can have open conversation. It's really hard. It might be really scary, um, but it could also be the, the thing that saves someone's life. Um, and so I think just, just being willing to go there, being willing to, exp- especially if we make it known that we're doing it in love and in compassion. Um, and then just, I think offering to, to do everything we can to be part of the process of making sure that person has the support they need. And to be honest, I've been walking through this with one of my best friends and there's a part of me, and this has been for the last couple of years. And there's a part of me that's scared to death that, that I could get a phone call or a text message that, you know, I've, I've talked to her about suicide. She's admitted that it's something she's thought about um, multiple times. And I'm doing my best even right now to, to try to make sure that she has the, the support and specifically the professional help that she needs. And we, I, I try to talk every day and be available every day. Um, 
but obviously there's hours and lots of hours and even days where we don't talk. Um, and so I have to give myself grace, you know, that I, I want to be the best friend I can. I want to be the, you know, I want to be a source of encouragement. Um, but I, I can't completely control not only her life, but her recovery, um, which is a really hard thing. And, and so it's something I talk about in counseling. So those are, those are a few thoughts. Hopefully that's helpful. It is. Yeah, I have one more question. Um, I was going through a lot of information about, uh, about you and about your organization today. And there was one unifying thing that I saw throughout everything I was reading, and it was the word hope. Um, which is wonderful. Um, but with everything that's going on in the world right now, I I mean, just between the pandemic and, and, you know, the, uh, all the racial and, you know, racial upheaval right now and, and the, and the, the vitriol from the campaign, how do you try to find hope in these times? I mean, what, you know, is it something that each individual person has to find in themselves or is there things that you can do to try and focus your energies towards, something more hopeful. I I mean, it just seems like, you know, we're in this really dark time and especially now that we're going towards the, towards the the holidays and this is clearly not going to be a holiday like anybody's ever had. How do you, how do you find hope now? Man, I I think it, I think it will look different for each of us. and, And hopefully there's, there's something good about that, right? That it's not just like a list of 10 things that we all have to love, but we get to figure out, especially as adults, what brings us joy? What makes me smile? What makes me um, come alive? What, what we just did a campaign. It's our biggest campaign every year. It's for world suicide prevention day, which was back on September 10th. And this year's phrase was worth living for. And we invited people to literally make a list of what's worth living for. And even if you, if, I mean, write it down, print it out, put it on your mirror, put it on your desk um, to think about reasons to stay alive. And, you know, self-care is a bit of a, a buzzword or hyphenated word. Um, it's something we hear a lot about and could even joke about, right? Like we, self-care is just this list that keeps getting longer and some of it might seem silly or shallow, but I do think self-care is, is a good thing and can be a good thing. And, and we all get to make a list of how, how do I find rest? Um, how do I recharge? How, how can I be healthy? For me, in recent years, it's even looked like reconnecting with things that I loved as a kid, um, realizing I'm still a surfer and I'm still a basketball fan and I love music. And, you know, for all, for the six of us on this call, um, we're going to have different lists. We're going to have different examples. So I think there's some things that we get to really customize and pick out. And, I, you know, somebody mentioned earlier, like, and the hope is you find communities where you can share that. Maybe you guys are doing that with comedy where you realize, wow, there's other people who like the things I like and they, they get off on the things I get off on. Um, how do I find my people? How do I, how do I have a community during a pandemic? And, and what we thought might be a really hard month is now a really hard year on so many levels. Um, so those are, those are a few thoughts. And, and then I think, you know, we come back to maybe some that apply to all of us. Like, I just, I believe that we're all, you know, and you can use the word you're comfortable with, but we're made or designed or we find ourselves here um, where we get to be known and loved. We get to have animals as we're seeing, or as I'm seeing on, on the screen, someone's cat has shown up. Um, My little we, writer die. <laughs> yeah. We get, you know, we get to be in friendships. We get to be in, 
we get to have family for better or worse. We, we hopefully get, get to be in romantic relationships. Um, we, you know, and, and even this year I'm coming back to like, I try to catch the sunset. I try to walk to the river with my little dog. And um, there's so many things I wish looked different about my life and about this year. And I'm sure everyone can relate, but like, I, I try to catch the sunset with my dog and I try to find some joy in that. Um, I, I just moved back to Florida and I get to see my family and I try to be grateful for that. So I think just coming back to um, reasons to stay alive and things that make life worth living and hope is a word that gets thrown around a lot, but I, th- I think we can kind of switch that out with what, what are the things that, that look and feel like hope for each of us. That's, that's great advice. So I think we'll leave it at that. (laughs) Jamie, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. We're going to have the information about your organization on our um, social media and just continue doing what you're doing. It's amazing. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to have you back again sometime. Uh, Anytime. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. It a lot Thank you. You guys are great. So I I really enjoyed it and I'm really honored to be here with you. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. Have a wonderful night. You guys too. (laughs) Bye. Yeah, that was, that was some great advice. So. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Sorry for the technical difficulties. (laughs) No no, no problem. Wait, also, I'm so out of the loop. I don't even know who's winning the world series. And clearly there's (laughs) one person who has some interest in it. Any um, updates on the on the game? It's yeah, one, you, it's one you know, right now. Right now, we're really we're really uh, um, on that whole hope thing that we were talking about earlier. Are you guys losing? <laughs> Wait, what's the game ahead of you? One nothing. Wait, is it all? Is it only one nothing? Yeah, it's only one nothing. It's right one now. nothing in the fifth on the game, but it's it's the sixth game. No, of the but world. I mean, okay. like it's the sixth game. If LA wins, we win the World Series. So okay, so yeah, there's a lot of hope in this house. Okay, here. so I'm in Florida, <laughs> but I I grew up going to Dodger spring training games, so uh-huh. they were my first love. So I'm, I'm gonna root for you, or maybe all of you. Thanks. Thank you. I just hope both teams have fun. Yeah, my, you guys know what? Yeah, that's awesome. That's the um the cat owner, the cat lover. <laughs> well, we're gonna move on to Phil Collins. You're more than welcome to stay if you want to join us, James. Phil Collins? Yes, we're gonna move on to our next segment called Just One Question. Um, so like I said, you're more than welcome to stay if you'd like, or you could jump off. You guys are awesome. So, um can I watch it on Facebook? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We're, we're I'll, okay. I'll let you guys go. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. Bye. Bye. So Phil Collins has has sent the Trump campaign a cease and desist order because he doesn't want Donald Trump to be using his song in the air tonight at his rallies. My question is, what would be an appropriate song for Trump to be playing at his rallies? Elizabeth. Whatever the soundtrack to Triumph of the Will is. That's a little inside, huh? <laughs> Come on, people don't know the Nazi propaganda films Triumph of the Will. He just played one tonight in Michigan, as it happens. It's I saw it, someone posted on Twitter, it's insane, but he's actually playing um, a remix of Linkin Park's Is It the End? Is that their big one? Mm-hmm. I, I've, I know in, the words, but I don't know the song title. Oh, off the time of my head. Pardon? In the End? Yeah, In the End. Um, and so people are like, uh oh, Lincoln Park better put out that cease and desist. And the guy who made the remix of the song, 
Um, yeah, Trap for the Wolves is, uh, is the Nazi propaganda films that got people going, hey, it's Hitler guys. You know, Germans are awesome. Like, yeah, that's what, if, you know, he's one step away from doing that. So, See anybody else? Uh, Pete. Well, their funny there's, answer. There's the ones, they're the ones that I think would fit perfectly. Like he should play maybe Disease by Matchbox Twenty. That at, at, at is <laughs> rather, or you make me sick by um, Pink. Um, <laughs> maybe Teenage Dirtbag by Weedus, um, or, or Loser by Beck. Uh, those ones I just literally came up with the top of my head. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think in the air tonight. If you really think about it, in the air tonight is probably the least appropriate song to be playing during a pandemic at something that could very well be a super spreader event. Yeah. So, so I think it's probably a good idea that he doesn't play that song. Well, he can, does he play Macho? I know he plays YMCA like all the time, but it's does he ever so play weird. Macho Man? Yeah, yeah, he plays Macho Man. Okay, because I was like, that's <laughs> he played at that rally, the first rally um, where he got COVID. Yeah, well, you have to have something to dance to, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, two, two fists a drinker by uh George Thurgood. <laughs> um uh and then uh, ramp it up by Steve Hodges. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking uh American idiot. <laughs> there you go. That, that would work. Or uh depending on what state he's in and how wishful thinking he's being, uh, I can't make you love me. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, get down with the sickness. I can't remember. Get down that with the sickness. Down with the sickness. A one. Great one. That's a good one. Um, especially if we do the Richard Cheese version. Yeah. Yeah. Be, yeah. <laughs> okay. So all week we are celebrating Halloween by closing the show with Halloween themes. Tonight we thought we'd talk about Halloween costumes. In a normal year, you're bound to see a lot of different costumes many of which start with the word naughty. With this being a very unique year, can you think of perfectly appropriate 2020 Halloween costume? Naughty WAP. Okay. Somehow even dirtier than the actual WAP. <laughs> yeah, naughty Fauci. Naughty Fauci <laughs> would be great. I think Naughty Fauci would be really good. <laughs> but, no, I, I, I think that what you definitely should do is if you want to spend a couple extra bucks, go get an actual hazmat suit. You can just use it for the, uh, you know, for, for, for Halloween. And then, hey, the rest of the year, you still got it for everything else. You I did actually see a couple's costume where the guy who had a hazmat suit and the girl was COVID. Oh. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you think they had to argue over who was going to get to be COVID? Well, I think that the... <laughs> Guys, you always make me the disease. I mean, yeah, the, like the guy probably couldn't have fit in the COVID because it was like a sexy COVID. Sex, so, it's yeah. sexy COVID? <laughs> of course <laughs> it was a sexy COVID. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Was it sexy or naughty COVID? No, it was just sexy COVID. It wasn't okay. naughty COVID. Oh, yeah. Sexy, okay. <laughs> I'd love to see a, a like a naughty and or sexy like Amy Coney Barrett. I just feel uh, like that would yeah, drive people. She, I would. Her husband would probably like <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. All it is is like a slightly lower neckline and a slightly higher skirt. Nothing, nothing else. It's basically <laughs> the same. Emma? So I was thinking like some variation on like the Jetsons where like all the clothing just goes out six feet so you can just walk <laughs> fine. Or any character that has like big hair, like a Pippi Longstockings where the braids can go out. <laughs> um, and then my other thought is uh, the fly. Yeah. Goldblum or, or OG? 
Phil thinks that we should have Melania Trump as the Grinch who stole Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) I must stop this Christmas from coming, but how? (laughs) I also feel like we all like jumped on naughty Dr. Fauci, which sure, but I think we are missing the potential of naughty Dr. Burks with just scarves. Oh, Oh, I like that. That's creative. That's a good one too. Yeah. Anybody else? Okay. Is there anything better than Naughty Dr. Fauci? Come naughty on. Fauci. I'm telling you. You can be oh, Naughty oh, Dumpster oh. Fire. Naughty Do you like to see my stethoscope? I am sexy Dr. Fauci because we love Dr. Fauci. So. I do like every year, like one of the things I love to do on my social media is to do the, the worst sexy costume challenge. Oh, from Yandy. Where you have to find what like the worst sexy costume you can find. And some of them are absolutely amazing. Like there's a sexy Bob Ross costume <laughs> and um uh this was one of my favorites so uh sexy uh, mike and sully from monster no, no! <laughs> which wow <laughs> i've got I've, I've got the best one sexy hunter biden oh wait that's not a costume <laughs> oh, oh, there you go <laughs> <laughs> Again, not as sexy as you, Pete, okay? Thank you, honey. You're welcome. If you don't think he's sexy, you're legally blind. Oh, wait. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, that's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you back here again tomorrow at 6 p.m. Have a good night, everyone, and please stay safe. Wear a mask. Bye.